Tonight's reading is Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows it over and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. This is God's word. And loving fathers, we turn again to your word. This is a, a well-known psalm to many, and its words are priceless. And you know well, I am uh, feeble and unable to impress the wonders of the truth here upon myself, uh, upon the lives of others. So we desperately need your help. Please, would your spirit come and cause us to not forget these words that he's written, but to live uh, them out, to be shaped by them, to not forget them actively as we seek to live as children who have a father who loves them very, very much and is working all things for their good. Would you cause us to not forget that this week, we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're in the series in the book of Psalms, and we've said um, one of the joys of the, or delights of looking at the book of Psalms is they, they push us beyond uh, a superficiality. Um, so you, the, the, they're, they're prayers from the gut uh, often uh, for the dark times, dark times, and the high times. Uh, they're for both. So we've looked at some prayers for some of the darker moods uh, already, um, looking at depression and doubts. And next week we look at guilt. But of course, at the same time, uh, there are plenty of psalms that would exhort us to delight and praise. And we need both. We need both. We need a faith that is able to cope with the lows and the highs. 
Certainly, we want to be a church which copes with both the lows and the highs. It's no good going somewhere that'll being part of a church or having a faith that just says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then when someone dies, you have nothing to do. Or you get sick, and then what do you do? Hopeless being in a place like that. But actually just as bad is the sort of institutional or church or faith which just says it's very hard being a Christian. It's very hard. It's very hard. Let me tell you about the Christian life. It's very hard. It's very hard. And that's all they say. And again, that would be sub-biblical because there are plenty of times when we're exhorted to delight and praise and enjoy the Lord. And the Psalms then, they, uh, they push us beyond a superficiality in doing that. They slightly challenge us in the language they use. It's intensity. It's honesty as we come and pray to the Lord. So they're good for us to, uh, to move us in that sort of uh, direction. Psalm 103 then, very well-known psalm. And uh, it's a psalm of David. We don't know much about it other than that. So it's rare for a psalm of David. There are no historical circumstances, no while he was on the run from, no while he was stuck in the cave of, none of the sort of historical circumstances. Oh, okay, in 1 Samuel 13, this is when he wrote that. Interesting, that was going on. You don't know, really, particularly what was going on uh, for David when he wrote this one. And therefore, it's less intensely personal than some uh, that he's written. I don't know if you noticed when it was read, there is actually not a single petition or request in the whole of the psalm. He never once says, God, can you, will you, can it be, he doesn't actually ask God for anything. Actually, a bit more than that, he doesn't address the Lord particularly. He's not, this isn't a heartfelt cry out to his God. He's primarily addressing himself. Or, perhaps more particularly, he's written a hymn that others can join him in singing. So really the first five verses are David talking to himself. But then beyond that, he's saying, okay, everyone else, join with me in this. Let's remember, because actually sometimes, quite often, this is true in the Psalms, isn't it? We've seen this. We need one another to encourage us to live this Christian life, to praise God, to comfort uh, when that's required as well. And as he starts off, it's, as, uh, as was mentioned at the beginning, an exhortation to praise. Very striking, I think, verses 1 and 2. We need provoking or rousing or stirring up to praise God. That's entirely normal. We are, I can't remember, I can't remember who, who ever said, but Christians leak. They just sort of, okay, good, God is good, and then... We just need to be reminded. That wasn't a leak, was it? It was an air leak. Um, so David says to himself, okay, here I am. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Everything, all my inmost being, my guts, my spleen, my... Will you praise God? Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And don't forget, forget not all his benefits. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Dwell on his benefits. Don't forget them. That's not a little period. So when he says don't forget, or you could put it possibly remember, biblically that isn't just what we might think it is. Just, um, oh, uh, sorry, what, uh, what's your name? Um, uh, uh, Phil, okay. Not just you forget. It's just, it's just drifted out of my head. God is, um, what's God's son called? Um, 
Jesus. That it's not just, a, oh, I might just slip away, it might forget. To, to remember or not forget in the Bible is to act, is to do. That's particularly how the Old Testament uses the language, always true of God. So uh, God in uh, uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus near the beginning, Exodus chapter 6, he says, Ah, Moses, I've remembered my covenant now, and so I'm going to act to save you. And Moses doesn't turn around and say, well, it's a good job, you know, I tied a knot on your handkerchief. That was to remind you, God, and you've just forgotten, and now it's come. No, God doesn't forget. He has now remembered that is he will now act upon uh, a promise that he's made, his covenant. Or, or the flip side of things, we'll look at this uh, next time. But the Lord chooses to not remember our sins for those who are believers in him. Psalm 25 is the clearest on it. Repeatedly say, God will not remember. Please, good Lord, do not remember uh, my sin, my iniquity against you. And again, it's not that um, God says, you know, Matt Lloyd, you know, I just, last week he did something that really irritated me. I just, I just can't remember what it is. He doesn't forget <laughs> he doesn't forget <laughs> many things he says yeah, okay, but, um, God the Lord doesn't forget he chooses to actively not remember he says because of the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ I will not remember of course he knows but it's an action do you see so to remember biblical truth to not forget biblical truth means to act be shaped by be defined by, live out. So when David says, verse 2, don't forget all his benefits, dash, oh, I'm not going to spend the rest of the psalm listing them, he's saying, these benefits, I'm not saying, tick them off on your mind and say, how did you do 12 out of 12? Did you remember 12 benefits that God brings you? Well done, you have a star today. He doesn't mean that, he means be shaped by them. Don't forget, be shaped so what, is, what would be an impossible thing to do would be to read Psalm 103 and say, well, I know God loves me. I've not forgotten that. If at any point in the past week you've been uh, angry or envious or anxious or irritated or covetous, because if you've done any of those things, biblically, you've forgotten the Lord's love. You've not been shaped by his concern for you. You've not acted as one who is a child of God, but have acted as one who's, is, who's insecure, has to defend themselves, gets irritated, wonders what was going on. Do you see? To not remember, sorry, to remember God's love means you are shaped by it. To not forget God's benefits means you are shaped by them. It's not just cognitive. It's how we live. So when you come to it with that and you think, well, I know Psalm 103. Now, this is the boring one because I, I looked at the term card and thought, well, I might not even bother coming because I know Psalm 103 off by heart. Well, you can only say that. Well, don't ever say that. But you can only say anything like that. I know this psalm. I don't forget the Lord's benefits if you live that way. So when David says praise, of course he means vocally praise. But he means live this. Live as one who knows they have the benefits of God. Okay, so we need to get this truth into our inmost being. So um, uh, let's try and break it down. I broke it down in uh, four little points uh, with uh, thanks to uh, Henry Francis Light, who uh, gave us our first song. If you didn't realize the first song we sung, that is Psalm 103. So I've just borrowed his verse headings. So it goes a bit like this. Um, four things to not forget. Don't forget. Uh, 
First then, verses 3 to 5. We are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Verses 3 to 5. Praise the Lord. Forget not all his benefits. Now David starts off speaking personally. And he addresses himself with, with two sets of three. What does God do? First, he forgives, heals, redeems. And then secondly, he crowns, satisfies, renews. That's uh, how it works. So first then, what does God do? He, verse 3, forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Three perspectives on the same truth. He forgives, heals, redeems. Now, don't be too thrown by uh, the middle of verse 3 there. He heals all your diseases. I presume David is looking back on a period of his life when he had sinned and he became aware that his sickness was a result of his sin. You and I can't make that link directly. So just be careful of that. Job's comforters, Job's friends do that. They say, ha ha, Job, the reason you are sick and ill is because you've sinned against the Lord. And God says to them at the end of the book, you are wrong and you are wicked for uh, saying that. So we need to be very careful before we make that link ourselves. But David can make that link. Presumably God told him or was explicit. So he knows that um, forgiveness and the healing of his disease went hand in hand. And yet the Christian can say, well, forgiven all sins, healed all diseases, redeemed life from the pit. We know that in embryo now we know that in full in the new creation that's when we really appreciate healing of all diseases because there is no sickness when you get to the new creation that's when we really appreciate being ransomed or redeemed because we'll see the lord face to face in a way we just can't do now so we know it initially yes but not in full but again david said don't forget that don't forget that be changed by that. You know, you could say e- easily to me, um, if you knew this, you say, uh, oh, you're going on holiday in a month's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget. Well, what are you talking about? I'm not going to forget. It's in my diary. I had to pay for it the other day, annoyingly. Um, I'm not going to forget. Well, of course, I'm going on holiday. No, no, what I mean is, don't forget what it'll be like when you go on holiday. Don't forget, there will be sunshine. There will be catching up on sleep. There'll be unrushed time with family. There'll be novels to read. There'll be wonderful things. Don't forget. And uh, if you said that to me, I would smile. (laughs) It would put a smile on my face and it slightly changes the grim day. It changes the stressful day. To not remember is, okay, well, yes, today is stressful. However, however, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Don't forget, don't forget. In In that sense, don't forget. Don't forget the benefits. God forgives, heals, redeems. Secondly, he crowns, satisfies, renews. So uh, uh, verse 4, he crowns you with love and compassion. Crowns or surrounds or garlands you with love. He surrounds with love. He satisfies your desires with good thing. Satisfies or um, satiates Um, like a a river that swells over its banks, like a sponge that just can't take any more. God gives so many good things that you just can't take any more. And you think, well, you know what? I could take a few more good things. iPad would be quite nice. You can't be. No, no, no. He's not. So spiritually, God has given you so many good things. Now, we may not 
understand them all rightly. We may not appreciate how wonderful forgiveness is. We may not dwell on how good it will be with him. But he has given all good things. He has satisfied or satiated you with them. Maybe think my, um, my five-year-old still uh, very much likes tickle attacks. Um, I uh, can't beat a tickle attack. So you go for the, t- you go for the kill, not a litter, obviously. You go for the, and it's sort of wild, giggling. And, um, you know, after a while, stop, stop, stop. And so you stop. More, more. And you go, so you go again. You know, this sort of goes on a few times. And then eventually, you know, it always inevitably, stop, stop, stop. Oh, I need a wee. And um, <laughs> because he just can't take any more. He can't take any more. His body's just had so much pleasure. It just can't take any more. He's satisfied. He's satiated. He's filled up. And David is saying, if you understand rightly, God has given you so many good things that he's held nothing back. You haven't got them all yet, but they're all yours Oh, you have forgiveness now, but the full benefits, you don't have them yet until you get to be with him. But there's nothing held back. You get the shop. He satisfies. And he renews strength. When you don't forget that, when you remember that, you can take flight even when you're tired. You renew energy even when exhausted. You are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Don't forget that, says David. Don't forget. That'll change your day. It'll change how you act. Second thing. uh, The Lord is slow to chide and swift to bless. Uh, Verses 6 to 12. Now here David moves from talking personally about himself and his own experience to recalling the, uh, the history of the nation of Israel. So God's people in the Old Testament, they knew, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. They knew, verse 7, that God had made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And indeed, these famous words, verse 8, that that God describes himself repeatedly in the Bible, first come up in Exodus chapter 34. God reveals himself to Moses. If you don't know the incident, in, in the book of Exodus, God has rescued his people. They're enslaved in Egypt. God rescues them, takes them out, all the plagues. God takes them through the Red Sea. God takes them to the mountain of Sinai, and uh, he's giving various instructions to Moses. While he's doing that, they say, you know, God's taken quite a long time. Can we have a God we can see? So they make a golden calf. How ungrateful. So God says, oh, oh, you know, really, I should just get rid of this people. But I won't. I won't. So Moses, tell them this. This is what I'm like. I'm the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. How ungrateful. How forgetful they were so soon after being rescued of the Lord's benefits. How forgetful. And yet believers today can be similar, really, well. Yes, forgiven, good, good. Good to know that in my back pocket I've got that, you know, get out of hell card for the future, that's good. I won't forget I've got that. That'll be useful to keep there for, for some point. Uh, and then someone's, someone's in, you know, oh, really, I need to go and visit them. God, I've got to come and pray. You know, oh, oh goodness me. You want something back from me, God? Harumph. We've forgotten his benefits. 
How ungrateful. How ungrateful. I don't know if you know the story. Uh, I was looking at my uh, fairy stories uh, fairly recently. Again, the Brothers Grimm. Have you remember the Brothers Grimm? This is, a, this, is a, this is one of their worst ones, actually. The Tale of the Ungrateful Son. It's, uh, it's awful. The, uh, there's a, there's a, a man and his wife, and uh, they're cooking chicken. And uh, they're in their, in their house uh, uh, in, the, in the forest, and they're about to eat a chicken. But then the man's father arrives, and the man says, I don't want to share my chicken. I just want to eat the chicken all myself. So he hides the chicken in the kitchen. His dad comes in. He gives his dad a drink, has a drink. You got anything to eat, son? Nope nothing to eat. And uh, so he sends his father away. How rude to his father who's brought him up. So the man goes back into the kitchen to, uh, to get the chicken. It's turned into a giant toad, which jumps and attaches itself to the man's face. And for the rest of the life, he has to feed the toad rather than himself. It's not true. Um, <laughs> it's a fairy story um, and a slightly odd one. And of course, the story is, if you're ungrateful to your parents, it will cost you And uh, I see there are a number of parents here this evening, so uh, you can enjoy that story for yourselves. But God is not like that. What is God like with his ungrateful children? Verses 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Wow, how unhuman of him because um, well how easily we harbor sorry how easily we harbor anger he doesn't how quick we are to retaliate and give people what they deserve if they're unkind to us he doesn't and wonderfully don't for your own life don't ask God for justice don't do that because wonderfully verse 10 he does not repay us According to our iniquities, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And, um, of course, biblically, the crime of rejecting the perfect king who loves his people perfectly and reigns with perfect justice, the crime of doing so is perfect, but perfectly horrific. Because that's a wicked thing to do. But God will not give us that for those who trust in Jesus Christ. You get these two uh, lovely metaphors of space. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And then perhaps even more famously, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, for that metaphor to work, you, can't, you need a sort of a wide open space. I think the, uh, the beaches of Norfolk, which uh, in winter are bleak, but in summer are lovely. And uh, they, they talk about the big skies of Norfolk because you can stand on the beach and just, whoa, it just goes for miles and miles. And it's beach slash mud slats. And it's just a wide open space. And you can look, let's call this east. Yeah, you can look um, east and the horizon is... Miles away. And you can look west and the horizon is miles away. And they never get any closer. You can walk a mile east, but the horizon is still miles away. And and they haven't got any closer. So in one sense, despite scientific advances, it's just a wonderful metaphor. It never goes wrong. The horizon of east and west, you never bring them together. They never meet. And David's saying, wow. God... God, has, he's taken 
what would condemn me so far away. I can no longer see it. It's just, I remember my crimes against him, but they're so distant. As far as the east is from the west. You can't bring those horizons together. So far he's taken away our sin, our transgression. So we repeatedly wrong the Lord. We doubt his goodness. We fail to trust his provision. We prefer other material things. But no matter how many times we wrong him, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He removes them. But you do know, of course, there has to be a cost to that. There's always a cost to that forgiveness. A while ago, um, I broke my mother-in-law's porcelain cake slice, um, which had been given to her as a wedding present by her mother, who had received it from her mother. Um, and it wasn't really even an accident. Well, it kind of, no, it was an accident. No, 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 that's, that's not normal. No, no, sorry, that, that's really bad. It's not, uh, it was an accident. Um, uh, uh, in our house, we distinguish with children between accidents which uh, you have no blame and accidents you have blame for. It was a blame accident because I was drying it up and I was sort of slightly messing around with it in my hand. Uh, and then they sort of tapped someone else on the bottom with it and it shattered. The, um, <laughs> and this thing shattered. I mean, that's by the by. This thing shattered. I had a horror. Oh, no. It is, it is the sort of the sacred item in the house on display. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so I sort of grovel to my mother-in-law, I'm so sorry, I'm so, so sorry. And uh, she's, she's a fairly wonderful woman. No problem, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. It's not a person, is it? It's just a thing. And uh, I said, of course, I'll pay. I'll, I'll, I'll track down a new one. No, 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 no need for that. I'll do that. Now, apparently, it took hours of looking at internet auctions and obscure sites. And eventually, one was sent over from Canada, I think, or something. Um, and it's kind of a match, although, obviously, emotionally, it doesn't quite do the thing. But... Um, <laughs> You see, there's always a cost to forgiveness. In one sense, I said sorry. She said, don't worry about it. It's okay. And all was well. But for there to be restitution, for things to go back to how they were, there's a cost. Either I paid a thousand pounds for a cake slice, or she paid for this cake slice. There's a cost. There's always a cost, even when two parties come back together. Now, when God takes away our sins, when he removes them as far as the east is from the west, there's a cost. When God doesn't treat us as we deserve, there's a cost. And, of course, the cost is his son. Of course, you know that if you're a Christian, as intimate as God the Father and God the Son have been throughout the whole of history, throughout the whole of eternity, there's a moment on the cross when, in a sense, they're separated as far as east from west. When Jesus Christ can cry out, my God, my God, you've forsaken me. As far as east is from west. That's the cost that is paid. The Lord, he's slow to chide. He's swift to bless. Don't forget that. Don't forget. I mean, dwell on the distance that your sin has been taken away. Don't forget. Uh, third, let's push on. The Lord, well, our feeble frame, he knows. Well, our feeble frame, he knows, verses 13 to 18. Picture changes here slightly to, um, rather than talking about uh, historically what God has done for us, for us, for us. 
Now it's a more general observation. And there's a different angle on compassion. Compassion has been a fairly strong theme. Have you noticed it? So uh, verse 4, he crowns with compassion. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate. Verse 13 now, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And uh, so the word compassion in, in the Hebrew, it, it derives from the word for womb, actually. That is a sort of enveloping concern. He's so compassionate, he just won't let you be damaged. It's a very lovely picture. Now, poor fathers know somewhat of this. I'm okay as a dad, but um, you know, if a child is unwell, and, they're sort of, and children do unwell quite well, if you get what I'm saying, they mope. And um, so if a child is unwell, you just, they just want you to snuggle with them. You just get on the sofa and snuggle. But you do that. You show a little compassion. You endure an hour of dreadful children's TV. And you, 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 of, course, of course you do that. Of course you just put your arm around. You show compassion, care, concern. Of course. The Lord is compassionate. And then in these beautiful words, God com- sorry, David compares man's brevity with God's constancy. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him because, verse 14, he knows how we're formed. He remembers we're dust. And these words said at the graveside. We've been at a funeral when a great um, a coffin goes into the ground. It's very moving. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. It's very sad. It's always sad when, um, of course, normally um, children bury their parents in the ground. Even more tragic when it's the other way around and a parent buries a child. And, of course, the the children will remember their parents. Of course they will. And maybe the next generation. But the great-grandparents? I I, I asked. No one knows where my great-grandfather's buried. No one knows, actually. I had to work quite hard to find out his name. See, just time moves on. The grass withers. His man, his days are like grass. The flourishes is like a flower, but the wind blows over and it's gone. No one remembers them. But, verse 17, but. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love, that is with those who fear him. He does not forget Your life will fail. God's love for you will not fail. I will sing at some point in a moment. God has loved us since before the dawn of time. That's a love that's from everlasting to everlasting. It's wonderful spaces in this psalm, aren't there? Our our sins removed as far as east from west. God has loved us since before the dawn of time until, well, for the whole of eternity. See, while man is limited and finite, um, his life is short. The brevity of man, but the constancy of God, it's a wonderful thing. That's how his love goes on. God's love does not let us go. I don't know if you've seen the film um, uh, Changeling. Have you seen Changeling? Uh, Angelina Jolie, slightly counter to normal type. There's no sort of kickboxing or anything like that going on. Uh, She plays... um, 
uh, a mother in uh, Los Angeles in 1928. The backdrop is a corrupt police force in Los Angeles. She's Christy Collins, and she has a son, uh, Walter. Uh, one day she's out at work, and Walter is kidnapped, just taken away. And um, no one knows what, ha- what happens to him. Now, the police at this time are getting a lot of flack. And so uh, uh, about a month later, they organize this big celebration. We found Walter. We found Walter. And there's all the press are there. And uh, this boy steps off a train. And Christy Collins says, that's not my son. That's not my son. Just a different boy. The police sh- shut her up. Look, take the boy home. I'm sure you're, it's just trauma. But eventually, she says, that's not my son. And she gets proof. She gets all his old teachers to to sign letters. That's not my son. It's not my son. But um, the police force, they just don't want the irritation. They just don't want the bad press. So they um, say, really, you don't think it's your son? No. So they put her in a mental asylum. True story. That's what makes it so deeply moving in 1928. So Christy Collins is put in a mental asylum. And she's told, if you sign this document saying that that is Walter, you can leave. But she doesn't. She will not let go of her son. She loves him so much, she won't sign this document. Then that means she'll never get him back. And so she endures the abuse of the wardens, uh, being drugged up medically, having a very primitive form of ECT, uh, you know, electrocognitive therapy, a very primitive form. So she's left as a bit of a zombie. She just endures all that. Because she will not let go her love for her son. And God's love is like that. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he endures far more than Christy Collins. He will not let his children go. His love is constant. He knows what we're like. He knows that we're feeble, but he is not. He is not. He will hold on to you. God will never let us go. Don't forget that, says David. Uh, There is, of course, a little condition to this. There's a condition for receiving God's love. You do have to fear him, verse 11. So great is his love for those who fear him, verse 13. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him, verse 17. The Lord's love is for those who fear him. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't sound very good. It simply means this. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it means. Biblically, those who fear God run to him, not from him. To fear the Lord in the Bible is to run to him and not from him. Best illustration, a friend of mine gave me this. I've never heard anything better. A friend of mine playing with his children, preschool children, a sort of what's the time, Mr. Wolf type thing. Uh, so he'd close his eyes, they'd tiptoe up to him, he'd go, and then, and run away. And uh, so do it again. And they'd sort of run away and hide behind the sofa. And then he he did one which was just a bit too big. And they ran into his arms crying. They ran to him. The game was over. They needed him now. They were really scared, so they ran to their daddy. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's the fear of the Lord. You run to him, not from him. You run to Jesus Christ and say, there's nowhere else. There's nowhere else I can go. There's nowhere else that will save me. I know that I deserve justice for the way I've treated God. There's nowhere else I can go but to you, Jesus Christ. Or uh, as it's put in verse uh, 18, similarly, these are promises for those who keep his covenant. Well, how do I do that? Sometimes I fail. No, no, Jesus Christ says, I institute a new covenant in my blood. 
All you need to do to keep my covenant is trust in me. So do you see, to fear him, to keep his covenant, it just means believe in Jesus Christ. That's all it means. And all these promises are yours. God loves those who have faith in Jesus Christ with compassion and constancy and grace. Don't forget that. That'll change your day. And so David concludes. Uh, he calls in some help. So verses 19 to 22. Angels, help us to adore him. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Hey, angels, you get to see God face to face at the moment. At the moment, you, you get to look upon him. You're there in purity. You've, you can praise him. Oh, verse 21, praise the Lord, all, you heavenly, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will, the sun, the stars. Praise him. And then verse 22, let's not leave anyone out. Praise the Lord, all his works, all places in his dominion. And then he comes back to himself. So, David, praise the Lord. So, listen, David, don't forget his benefits. That's not just for 90 minutes on a Sunday. That is, David, as you live your life, be shaped by the God that you have. Live your life as one who is a father upon you. Live your life as one who is slow to chide and swift to bless. One who knows your feeble frame but loves you with a constancy that defies belief, really. Live your life as one who is loved by one who will never let you go. Don't forget. Be shaped by them. That is a life that praises him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, you, you, you know our feeble frames. Well, you know them. And you know that we uh, can think of your benefits, be impressed by your benefits, be thrilled with your character, and then forget and our lives are not shaped by who you are and how loved we are by you, but shaped by other things. Would we not forget? Would you help us? Would you so impress these truths upon our souls that we do live lives to the praise of your glory? That is, we live remembering how good you are. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.